Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would bless us now with it, bless us with understanding, uh, help us to have ears that hear, help us to set aside the, uh, the, the assumptions that we have, and to simply see what Jesus says and what your word says. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Matthew writes, starting at verse 21, Then Peter came and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. Therefore the slave fell to the ground and was prostrating himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And feeling compassion, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him one hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and was pleading with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and came and reported to their lord all that had happened. And summoning him, his lord said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your hearts. For forgiveness is... It seems like a complicated issue. It's not. But our emotions make it complicated. Our assumptions make it complicated. They, they tangle us up as we think about it. Uh, a lot of people will have an immediate gut reaction to the idea of forgiveness. They'll, they'll think things like, am I supposed to forgive him? Or if I forgive her, it's like saying what she did didn't matter. Or I can't forgive them because I can't trust them. And see, like it or not, when we come to the word of God, our experiences and our backgrounds shape what we see and how we understand the scriptures. Clarity is only going to come through the word of God as, as we set aside what we think we know about forgiveness. That we think about any subject that we study and what the culture might say and people around us might say. And, and we give our attention to what Jesus says in his word. Now, for some people, forgiveness is not an issue. For some people, forgiveness can be a difficult topic. And for some people, even the idea of forgiveness can cause them to basically shut down emotionally. Uh, there isn't time this morning to cover 
any much more than the passage has for us. So this morning we're going to look at these words, and then we're going to return to the issue of forgiveness next week. And uh, I'll talk about the things that I've wrestled with. I'll talk about what do we do when the guilty party is unwilling to repent? What do we do when they're unable to repent because they've moved away out of contact or because they're dead? What do we do uh, or how do we understand the difference between forgiveness and trust? What do we do with secondhand borrowed offenses where a friend has been offended by another person and we pick up that offense on behalf of our friend? My email address is in the bulletin. It's in the back there. I encourage you to contact me this week if you've got a specific question. I will answer it without using your name or your situation. So it's discreet. It's private. I've already had two questions from a person in Creighton. We will answer those questions. And if it takes us two weeks, we'll do that. This is a huge issue. We need to understand it well. Uh, before we look at this, I just want to, to lay out the process of forgiveness uh, in a simple way so that we can hold that in our heads as we look at Peter's question to Jesus and Jesus' answer and then think about all of this. Someone sins against us, and in doing that, they take on a moral debt to us. God does not permit us to collect moral debts. And so the scripture gives us two options. If the guilty party repents of their sin, we are to cancel their debt and to waive our right to punish them. If the guilty party does not repent because they are unwilling or unable, we are to transfer their debt to God. Uh, Linda's dad passed away last year with part of her inheritance. We were able to pay off our house to a great degree. And then for several months, uh, I made double payments, triple payments, and we're now, our house is now paid off. Once we made that, that initial payment, the mortgage holder sold the loan. I shouldn't tell you that we had a 9.65 interest rate. I won't tell you that. It was very high. They sold the loan. When they sold the loan, they transferred our debt. We still owed a debt, but we no longer owed it to them. Once they had transferred our debt, we had no obligation to them. We were actually in good standing with them because our debt had been covered. But we still owed somebody. So with forgiveness, with unforgiveness... I'm sorry, with forgiveness, someone sins against us, they owe us a moral debt. Our options, if they repent, are to to cancel that debt and waive punishment or to transfer the debt to God so he can collect. We're not permitted to hang on to it biblically. So let's think about Peter's question, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? So we see that Peter doesn't question forgiveness. He knows he needs to forgive. The question is, how many times should he forgive? His assumption is that we're going to forgive a certain number of offenses and and then no more. Uh, In in their day, the rabbis were teaching that 
people should forgive three times, but not a fourth. And they base that on a, in my opinion, a very bad interpretation of Amos 1.3, where God says, uh, for three transgressions and four, I will judge Damascus. And somehow the rabbis decided the three meant he was forgiving the three, but he wasn't going to forgive the four. So the rabbis said, if God forgives three times, but not a fourth, you shouldn't forgive more than three times because that would be saying you're better than God. I just don't get that. But that's what Peter was raised with. Somehow Peter doubles that number and adds to it and comes up with seven. If my brother says against me, uh, how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times. So what this means is that Peter is basing his forgiveness on the expectation that this guilty party will stop. They commit a sin against him. They incur a moral debt. They repent. We see that in the, in the parable and in the, par- the parallel passage in chapter Luke. There's some kind of response on their part. Peter is willing to forgive the first time and the second time and the third and fourth and fifth and sixth time and the sev- even the seventh time. But once they've sinned the eighth time, Peter says, no, that's enough. I'm not forgiving anymore. And we know exactly what he'd be thinking, right? I've forgiven him seven times already. It hasn't made a difference in their behavior. I'm not forgiving the eighth time. Now, if you think about that, what that means is that Peter was not forgiving at all. What's he thinking? I've forgiven them seven times already. But this is the eighth time. If he was truly forgiving, Peter would have said it was the first time every time. That's the difficulty that we have. Now, most of us would think that Peter was being very reasonable. A person did a thing. I'm willing to overlook it. I'm willing to let it go. But not forever. Really what that does, though, is make forgiveness another kind of debt. Peter's going to say, enough is enough. I've forgiven you seven times, but no more. How would you know that you've forgiven me seven times? Well, because I've been keeping track which means you haven't been forgetting or forgiving. It means you've been piling it up. It means that you've been waving it, you've been setting aside, you've been deferring punishment, but you haven't been canceling the debt. And every time Peter forgives his brother, that debt grows. Somebody does something, they say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Peter says, I forgive you, but now there's a weight. And if he does it again, Peter says, well, okay, that's two, I'll I'll forgive you. That's three, you're up to seven now. And each time he forgives, he actually adds to this debt. It sounds reasonable, but it's not forgiveness at all. It's just unforgiveness in disguise. It's a way of controlling someone, of holding, holding it over their head. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It's just another way of saying, how long should I save up my brother's sins before I let him have it? Let's look at Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Some translations read 77. 
It all depends on how we translate the phrase that's used there. But the point is the same. Jesus isn't saying, no, you're not counting nearly high enough. Jesus is saying you don't keep count. You don't keep track. Biblical forgiveness doesn't keep track. We don't forgive someone because they promise not to do it again. We're not to keep count of someone's offenses until they reach some point of no return. Jesus, in fact, I think, assumes that they're going to continue. He doesn't say, no, I don't say to you seven times because that won't be necessary. Jesus doesn't say, I don't say to you seven times because you know something? If after seven times they're not going to stop, they're not going to stop. He just assumes that this could go on a long time. If I asked you to write down, oh, your top three sins, maybe your top five or your top ten sins, and don't do this but you know what they are. How many of those sins were, were one-offs? How many of us would write down, June 7th, 1995, I was selfish? <laughs> we would write, I'm, I am selfish. We wouldn't say, last year I complained once. We would say, I complain. Our sins tend to be things that we just continue to do. And so Jesus says you can't put a number on it. You can't put a count on it. We are to never stop forgiving someone who repents. Now, repentance is a crucial issue in this, this process of forgiveness. Jesus doesn't mention it in these two verses, but we see it in the parallel with these slaves when they, they plead for mercy. That's, that's illustrating a repentant heart. It's also mentioned specifically in the parallel passage in, in Luke chapter 17. Jesus says there, and if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. And that's seven times a day. A day. It's like I'm dealing with a toddler who won't stop coloring on the walls. It's like, who does this? But that's the nature of this. I want you to understand that forgiveness requires repentance. It requires a confession of wrongdoing and a desire to be restored. It requires that. It's true in a relationship with Christ. Jesus came rep preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles preached, repent and believe the gospel and be saved. Confession and repentance go hand in hand. Repentance is not paying it back. Repentance is not uh, making yourself feel bad over what you've done. Repentance is turning away from the sin and turning toward Christ. That's necessary for us to be saved in the first place, and it's a necessary part of our peace with God. It's not that you and I repent and confess over every sin that we commit before God. He's gracious to us. He's kind to us. But the Spirit of God, doesn't he, brings things to your mind and you realize, I've done this. This stands now in my conscience between myself and God. And Jesus doesn't say, I showed you that so that you could regret it forever. He says, I showed you that so that you could learn of my grace and my mercy and you could confess it and turn away and experience my forgiveness and my peace. So it's also true in our relationships with others. I'm open to being corrected, but I don't know a single place in Scripture where we are commanded to, to forgive those who won't repent. It's not there. Instead, we are to transfer their debt to God. 
We're not permitted to hold on to that debt. We're not permitted to collect on it. They either acknowledge that debt and we clear it and waive our right to punish them or we give it up to God and he can collect it as he sees fit. Now Jesus' parable uh, illustrates genuine and false repentance. I've already read through it. I won't read through it again. It's a simple story. A slave owes his king an unimaginable debt. Now I love math, but I'm not very good at it, so I use, I use spreadsheets. A, a talent was a measure of weight, typically about 66 pounds, although some thought it could be 75 pounds. But if you take 66 pounds, multiply it times 10,000, and multiply that times 16 to get the number of ounces, and then multiply it past, uh, on the, multiply that by the price of gold at close on Friday. 1665. Uh, I saw 1649. Okay. But I, you know, it's the internet. You can't, you can always trust. Okay, trust everything you see on the internet. Abraham Lincoln said that. So what I came up with was a debt of $17.4 billion. Now, if it, was, if it was a talent of silver, that was, that was not very common. It was usually a talent of gold when it was speaking of value. But if it was a talent of sil- silver, it's only $203 million, which is a huge relief. So this is not a true story. He's not saying all of you read this in the paper. This guy owed. This is an impossible debt for somebody at that time to owe. Certainly a slave. The point is to say it's unpayable. It is so far out of imagination that it's a crushing, hopeless debt. As we saw in the the parable, the king doesn't wait for the slave to come and say, I feel terrible. I just feel terrible about this. But I was just doing my books, and I realized I owe you this, and I need to pay it, but I can't. The king is settling accounts, and he calls him in, and he says, you owe me this, and I know you can't pay it. So I'm selling you and your wife and your kids and everything you own, and the slave pleads for mercy, and astonishingly, he receives it. There's the illustration of repentance and forgiveness. But then he immediately goes out and he assaults a fellow slave who, who owes him a hundred denarius. The idea that a, that a denarius is a day's wage, the average day's wage in our time, uh, and the average, not minimum wage, but the average, that means that this second slave owes him about $22,000. He's been forgiven billions. And now he chokes, he doesn't even come up and say, pay me. He just begins to assault him and choke him. That slave also pleads for mercy. That's another illustration of repentance, but his pleas fall on deaf ears. And the first slave slaps him into debtor's prison until he pays it off. So you could never pay off $17.4 billion, but you could pay off 22000 And since this is a parable of the kingdom... We can say that the king is God, that we are the first slave, that we have been forgiven an unimaginable debt by God through Jesus Christ, and that we have no right to refuse to forgive someone who repents. None. 
When the king learns about this first slave's refusal to forgive, he reinstates the debt. He sends him into the hands of the torturers, which is a picture of divine judgment. We believed gospel and repented of our sins, and the Father cleared us dead and restored us. He did this not because we repented, not because we were sorry, not because we paid him back, but because of his love. (coughs) Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, that is, while we still owed an eternal debt and had no ability to pay, Christ died for us. So the Father, in our experience, sent his spirit, softened our hearts, gave us faith in Christ. That faith burst out of us in a plea for mercy. And having received mercy, God made us his own precious children and transformed our natures. And with that transformation now comes the willingness and a growing ability to forgive those who repent. The mercy that you and I receive is everlasting. The loving kindnesses of God, Jeremiah writes, of Yahweh never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You could picture it this way. You could take the roof off of this building and you could fill this space up to overflowing with the grace of God. And every time you sin today, God is going to take a drop out of that grace and apply it to your sin. When you get up tomorrow morning, he will have topped it off again. When you woke up this morning, you woke up free if you're in Christ. Your conscience might be bothering you. Your memories and regrets are there. I get that. I've got the same thing. But we are clear with our Father. Stunning. Amazing. John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When God forgives, he clears our account. He's not keeping track. He doesn't build up a pile of our sins. His forgiveness is not just deferring punishment until some later point. It means that he has cleared us of guilt and foregone the punishment that we deserved. The implication of the parable should be pretty clear from a positive point of view. Since God has forgiven us our unimaginable debt, we should be quickly willing to forgive those who repent of their minor debt against us. And from a negative point of view, a refusal to forgive those who sin against us and repent is a serious issue. And the person who steadfastly refuses all who repent is really showing that they don't know the Lord. Because our basis of forgiving is God's basis of forgiving. It's the love of God given to us. Now, forgiveness is often hard. I don't want to demean that. I don't want to diminish that. I don't don't want to ignore that. Forgiveness is hard. But I want you to notice how often I've used the word repentance. See, repentance is necessary for forgiveness. It's it's a prerequisite. Nowhere, Nowhere does Scripture command us to forgive those who are unrepentant. But nowhere does Scripture give us permission to withhold forgiveness for those who do repent. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If someone else confesses their sins to us, 
it is faithful and righteous for us to forgive their sins. So this should answer one of the emotional objections to repentance. How can I forgive someone who's not sorry for what they did? How can I forgive somebody who won't repent? The answer is you don't. You can't. You can't. But at that point, and we don't have a slide for it. We'll talk about it in more depth next week. At that point, Romans twelve nineteen comes into play. You, you don't take vengeance for yourself. You leave room for the wrath of God. So there's a personal, practical reason for doing that, and that is unforgiveness destroys us. We were not married to carry that. There's a theological reason to forgive too, and that is unforgiveness says we're equal to God, and we have the right to stand in judgment over another soul. That's why we forgive or we, we transfer if you're like me, you might find yourself having to transfer that debt over and over and over again. I've transferred it to you, Lord. I've given it up to you, but I found myself writing it down in my account book today. I, I transfer that up to you. Forgiveness is not always possible. Some people will refuse to acknowledge what they've done. They refuse to repent. And there's nothing that we can do to make them change. We'll talk about what to do there next week. The simple answer is we transfer their debt to God. Sometimes people will have moved out of contact or broken relationship. It's not possible for them to repent or confess. Sometimes people have died. Again, the simple answer is we transfer that to God. And we'll talk more about that next week. Sometimes we pick up what Linda and I have come to call a secondhand or a borrowed offense. So in, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul speaks to Yodia and Syntyche, two women in Philippi who were at odds with each other. He never accuses them of sin. He never calls them to repent. He urges them to, be, to think the same way, to be in harmony with one another. He urges the church to help them. So just at the outset, here's a, here's a conflict between two people that has become so public that Paul just mentions it because everybody knows about it, and he never says that that was a sinful thing to do. It doesn't rise to that level. Sin's a big word. But he urges them to get right with each other and to think alike. Now, I want you to think about Tertia, who is Yodia's best friend. I just made her up. Tertia finds out that Syntyche and Yodia are at odds with each other. And what does Tertia do? Well, she's a good friend. She takes Yodia's side. The letter comes, the letter is read. Yodi and Syntyche, being mature women in Christ, agree, yeah, that's exactly right. They get together, they resolve that. What does Tertia do? She's still carrying this unforgiveness and animosity towards Syntyche that she never should have had in the first place. If you've picked up a secondhand offense or a borrowed offense against this person because they hurt your friend, you're wrong. You just need to give that to God. You have no right. You have no right to expect them to come to you to ask forgiveness. How would they know that they've offended you? It just gets in the way. We'll talk more about that next week. And as I said at the beginning of the message, my email address is in the bulletin. 
I'd encourage you to contact me if, if you've got a specific question. Again, I won't mention your name. I won't use your situation so that it's discreet, it's private, but I want to answer these questions. Until then, I want to bring this home. This passage makes it very clear that when a brother sins against us and then repents, we are to forgive them. Jesus says at the, the very end, my heavenly Father will also hand you over to the tortures if each of you does not forgive his brother from your hearts. We simply have no right before God to hang on to an offense. God has made a provision for us by sending his son as a sacrifice. We know the hymn, Jesus paid it all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We could add another verse. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I forgive your debt because he washed me white as snow. If God has heard your confession, acknowledged your repentance and cleared your debt to him, he calls upon you to do the same for others who repent. If they won't repent, if they can't, he calls you and I to transfer that to him so that we can be free of the burden of it and that we're not in any danger of claiming to be him. More next week. Father, we thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the forgiveness that you've provided in Jesus Christ. It's perfect. It's complete. When you forgive us, that issue will never come back. We know that you're Ability to simply not consider our history is perfect. We don't have that ability. And I know that you know that. You know how difficult it is for us. You know how we must be encouraged to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. To make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace, to tolerate one another and to bear with one another. We, we know all of those things. And it's fairly easy when we think about the theory of these things, but when we think about actual practical issues in our lives, for some of us at least it becomes very frightening, very fearsome, because we're not sure of what it all means or how it all works. And so I ask that you would take this, this basic lesson and weld it to our hearts. The simplicity of forgiving those who repent, clearing their debt and waiving our right to punish them, and the simplicity, really, of transferring the debt of unrepentant people to you. So that we don't pretend to be you. And so that we can be at peace. I thank you for your word. Thank you for the nourishment of it this morning. I ask for your blessing to be upon each one here today and upon those who are not with us today. 
And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.